Matthew chapter number 20. We're going to be looking this morning at the parable of the workers in the vineyard. The parable of the workers or the laborers in the vineyard. The vineyard. We've been looking at some different parables uh, of our Savior. Today we come to a parable uh, that, although it's a very simple story, is one that has uh, received much uh, discussion. And there's many opinions about this parable and what the Lord means by this parable. And so I pray the Lord help me today uh, to be able to relay to you uh, what I believe the message of this parable is. Uh, yes. Now, this is an interesting parable because in this parable, uh, the householder, uh, of course, who represents God, uh, does an unusual thing in man's eyes. What man would think to be the normal behavior is not what takes place. And because of what uh, the householder does, uh, those uh, in the story regarded it as unfair. And of course, Jesus then explains the parable. And in explaining uh, this, he uses this parable to teach a principle concerning how the kingdom of God works in relation to those who are serving him. And so as we read our text, you're going to find that this story is clear, but it's the implications of the story that can be difficult to understand. So you pray for me this morning uh, that the Lord will help me to be able to relay to you the truths that I believe are found here in this passage of Scripture. We're going to be in Matthew chapter number 20, and we're going to begin our reading in verse number 1, and then we'll read down through verse number 16. The Bible says, For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is an householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers in his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. And he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and saith unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? They say unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, Call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more, and they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they murmured against the good men of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst not thou agree with me for a penny? Take that thine is and go thy way. I will give unto this last even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil because I am good? So the last shall be first and the first last, for many be called 
but few chose. And let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to come to your house. And Lord, I thank you for each individual that is here in your house this morning. Uh, Father, I thank you that they have prioritized serving you. And Lord, they have taken the time, uh, Lord, to rise, to get ready, uh, Lord, and to come and spend time in your house. And Father, I pray that you will reward them. And Father, Lord, I pray that they will be blessed this morning. I pray, dear Lord, that their hearts will be challenged. I pray, dear Lord, that they will receive the Word of God this morning, I pray. Lord, I pray that you will help me this morning, uh, Lord, uh, to be able to share and to explain the Word of God, Father, in a way uh, that is understandable, in a way, uh, Lord, that is clear so that we can apply the Word of God, Father, I pray. I pray, dear Lord, that if there be any here this morning that is lost, that does not know you as Savior, uh, Father, I pray that you will work in their heart. I pray, dear Lord, that through this message, uh, Father, you will speak to them and show them their need to give their life to you, Father, I pray. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the opportunity and privilege that we have to be in your house this morning. Lord, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Now there's a couple of things that we can point out about this parable. Of course we know it is a parable and in parables uh, Jesus would take stories of uh, things that were common in that day and he would use those stories to illustrate scriptural truth. Uh, now we look at this and we see a few things. We see uh, uh, someone that owned a vineyard. Uh, we see him going out to hire laborers uh, and what he's doing here is was a common practice. Uh, uh, many times people would not have what we now consider a full-time job uh, but instead, if they wanted some work, if they needed to make some money, they would go to the marketplace and they would stand around and wait for someone looking for laborers and they would hire them for the day. Uh, then, you know, they may would go back later, but oftentimes they would come and just be hired for the day. If you go uh, in foreign countries, oftentimes you will see this being practiced in foreign countries still today. If you go to uh, boat docks and things like that around here, you'll see a guy standing on the docks waiting for the ships to come in, hoping somebody will hire them so they can do the work. So this is what is taking place. These men are standing in the marketplace uh, hoping that someone will hire them so they can make some money that day. Now we see here that there's uh, several hours listed. The, in, uh, in the Jewish tradition, the work day was a 12-hour work day. From 6 to 6 was normally uh, that. It did adjust according to the length of the day. They would lengthen or shorten the hour, but it was always broke into 12 parts. But basically, it was from 6 in the morning till 6 in the evening. That was the Jewish work day. And so we see that what's going on here is this man who owns a vineyard. He needs some help in his vineyard. Most likely uh, it's time to gather the fruit uh, uh, to, to, to preserve the fruit or to, to turn it into juice or whatever it is that they're doing. So he goes to the marketplace looking for laborers to help with the work that needs to be done. And he goes uh, first thing in the morning at 6. He gets some people. He goes back uh, the third hour which would be about 9 o'clock and he gets some more. He goes back again uh, and uh, gets some more folk and more folk until he comes all the way up to the 11th hour of the day, which would have been about 5 o'clock. Five different times he goes and gets laborers. And at the last time, at about 5 o'clock, he again hires laborers and brings them uh, to work in his vineyard. After this, uh, then he pays them. And of course, they agreed 
the first people that he hired agreed to labor for a penny. And of course, we understand that this is not speaking of the same penny that we have in our currency today. This was uh, uh, money that was used in that day uh, that was actually a good wage. Uh, this was a little more than the Roman soldier would have been paid for a day's wage. Uh, I think they said that uh, the Roman soldier would have got about two-thirds of this amount for a day's labor. And so this was a good wage. They were getting paid well. Uh, he hired them for a penny. They agreed for a penny. Only the first group did he discuss how much they were getting paid. Everyone else, he said, I'll pay you what is right. But then we see at the end of the day, he gave to everyone the same wage. And of course, in doing so, those that had been there for 12 hours, when they seen those that had been there less time getting the full amount, they supposed that they would get a bonus. But whenever it came their turn, they got the same wage. And of course, in the story that Jesus gives, they said this is unfair. Why is it so uh, that we have not received the same pay as everyone else? Why, why is this so? And then Jesus explains uh, in the parable, he said, is it not my right to, to do what I will with my own? I have not cheated you. I've just poured out a blessing on them. And whenever we look at this story, it's quite clear what took place, but there can be some confusion as to what truth Jesus is trying to teach concerning the kingdom of God. We look at the story. The story's simple. We understand the workers' confusion. We understand the landowner's argument. It all makes sense. But the question is, what is Jesus trying to teach? What truth is he trying to teach us from this passage of Scripture. In order to understand the implications of this parable, and of course any passage of Scripture, we need to understand the context of the story. So in order to understand what Christ is teaching this par in this parable, we need to understand the reason for the parable. The parable that we find here in chapter number 20 is given in answer to questions that are asked in chapter 19. Now, you may not know this, some of you may know this, but the chapter and verse uh, markings in our Bible was not given to us until much later on after the Bible had been recorded. Uh, so when this was originally recorded, there were no chapter and verse separations. Those were put in there later to help us whenever I get up to preach. I can say, go to Matthew 20, verse 1, and you can quickly find where I'm at. Uh, so they were given to just help us find our way through the Scripture. They weren't in the original text. So the story that we find in chapter 20 is a continuation of what is taking place in chapter number 19. Whenever we do not understand the context of a passage of Scripture, we can construe all kinds of meanings from a from a singular passage of Scripture. We can take a passage of Scripture and set it aside by itself and interpret it outside of context, and we can come up with all types of things that it might need, mean. But when we put it in context, now the meaning becomes clear. And in this parable, if you read what folks have said about this parable, it becomes clear that many people have tried to interpret this parable outside of the context. But when we put it in the context, a great deal of clarity is given 
for the correct understanding of what Jesus is teaching. In chapter number 19, we find the account of a rich young ruler. You may remember the story. A rich young ruler, a wealthy young man had heard of Jesus. He had heard the teachings of Jesus. He was interested in what Jesus had to say. And he came to Jesus and he asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him about the commandments, he said, these I have kept from my youth up. Jesus said, one thing thou lackest, sell all that thou hast, give to the poor, and come follow me. The Bible says he was grieved at that saying, and he went away, for he had great possessions. And Jesus then said to the disciples how difficult it is for a rich man to be saved. It's easier, this passage we remember well, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to be saved. This interaction and this conversation led Peter to ask a question in the end of chapter number 19. Now, you know, Peter, he gets a lot of grief. We give Peter a hard time for being a loud mouth, but personally, I'm glad that Peter had a big mouth because all those questions he asked gave us all the answers we need. And so Peter opened his big mouth. He said, I have a question to ask. There's something I need to know. And so he asked some questions at the end of chapter number 19, and the parable in chapter number 20 is in response to Peter's questions. If you will, look with me in Matthew 19, and we'll start in verse number 24. This is where Jesus is telling them uh, that it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle, and then we'll go from there. In verse number 24, Jesus said, And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So Jesus has just summarized what's going on with the rich young ruler. But in verse number 27, Peter asked an interesting question. Remember, Jesus told the rich young ruler, One thing thou lackest, forsake all you have, and come follow me. Rich young ruler said, I can't give up my possessions. I'm not able to do that. And so Jesus said, it's almost impossible for someone that riches has that grasp on them. It's nearly impossible for them to be saved because they're unwilling to turn loose of their possessions. Then Peter in verse number 20, thinking of what Jesus had just said, it says, then answered Peter and said to him, behold, we have forsaken all. Lord, you just told the rich young ruler uh, that what he needed to do was to forsake all and follow you. He denied that. He went back to his life. But Lord, we have forsaken all. And he goes on in verse number 27, he says, We have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? You just told the rich young ruler in order to inherit eternal life, he needed to forsake all and follow you. He rejected that. But Lord, we have forsaken all and followed you. What are we going to get for what we have done? Boy, I'm telling you what, isn't it interesting how we're quick to promote what we have done? Peter said, we have done what you asked. What is our reward? And in verse number 28 it says, And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me, in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. 
And everyone that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive an hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Now, if there were any question as to whether or not these two stories were tied together, it is answered in the fact that the last verse of chapter number 19 is repeated again in verse number 16 at the end of the parable. So we see that it kind of bookmarks the parable and ties it in to the fact that Jesus is answering Peter's question with the parable. We see in verse number 30, but many that are first shall be last and the last shall be first. In verse number 16, the last verse of the parable, so the last shall be first, and the first last, for many be called, but few chosen. Jesus stated that unless the rich man was willing to forsake all and follow him, he would not inherit eternal life. In response to that statement, Peter asked the question, well, what do we get for forsaking all and following you? In response to that question, Jesus gave the twofold answer that we saw in verse 28 and 29. In verse number 28, he answers that Peter and the other apostles would be given special honor in eternity because of their devotion to him here on earth. He said in verse number 28, Verily I say unto you that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit on the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So he says to the disciples, Because you forsook all and followed me, you will be given special honor. First part of the answer. One question... Two-part answer. First part of the answer is, Peter, uh, because you forsook all and followed me, you will receive blessing and honor. But secondly, he points out in verse number 29 that this special honor is not reserved just for the 12 apostles, but that everyone who forsakes the pleasures of this life to follow Christ uh, will likewise receive uh, recognition and blessing. He said in verse number 29, so verse number 28, he said, Peter, you will get to rule with me and after the second coming. But in verse number 29, he says, and everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit eternal life. Then in verse number 30, Jesus links this conversation back to the rich young ruler when he says this, so the, last, the first shall be last, but many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. In other words, he was saying, So those who forsake all to follow me in this world, they may be seen as last in this world, but they'll be first in my kingdom. But those who choose to strive to be first in this life will be last in the kingdom of God. So we see here, this is a little complicated to follow. Hopefully we're making it easy to understand for you. We see that there was a story of the rich young ruler. We see that he rejected Christ because he wasn't willing to forsake all and follow him. We see that Peter said, what do I get for forsaking all? God said, because you forsook all, you will get special honor. You will get a special blessing. But Peter, not just you, but everybody who forsakes all and follows me, regardless 
regardless uh, if they were the first uh, or the last uh, or somewhere in the middle, uh, everyone who rejects all to follow me will receive the same blessing. And then he reminds us of the story of the rich young ruler, but uh, those who refuse to forsake all, uh, they will be last in regard to the kingdom of God. We then turn the page to chapter number 20. Chapter number 20. Hopefully, this will be, the introduction will be the longest part of the message, all right? So y'all don't have to panic too much. So we turn the page to chapter number 20 and we find Jesus giving the parable of the vineyard to explain how it is that those who are saved later will receive the same reward as the apostles who were chosen first. Let's look briefly at the contents of the parable. When we look at the parable, we find, first of all, that it illustrates a truth about the kingdom of heaven. This parable is being given for the purpose of teaching us about the kingdom of heaven. Not only does it illustrate a truth about the kingdom of heaven, but when we look at it, as we mentioned at the beginning, we find that it involves a householder who represents God and hired help who represent his followers. And then when we look at this parable, we find also uh, that it emphasizes uh, how the workers are paid in relation to how long they work. So that is the contents uh, of the parable. In considering uh, the different time periods given in this parable, several comparisons have been made. So let's look for a second at the comparisons that have been made uh, concerning the time periods in the parable. Some have viewed this parable as referring to the gospel going to the Jew first, uh, and then to the Gentile. This is a popular opinion. And uh, although the Jews did receive the gospel first and then the Gentiles, uh, as the Bible teaches, uh, we see that although this explanation seems to fit a little bit, it does not fit perfectly. There's a couple of problems with saying that this parable is teaching concerning the Jews and the Gentiles. And the problem is that in this parable, Jesus specifically made a point to say he hired them First thing in the morning, he hired them a little later and a little later and a little later, all the way up to the 11th hour, the entire time, additional groups of people were being invited. So if we say that this applies to the Jews and the Gentiles, we run into a problem because we could have invited the Jews at 6, invited the Gentiles at 9, but who's all the rest of the groups of people that are being invited? So that doesn't fit exactly uh, to say that it applies to the Jews and the Gentiles. Another comparison that has been made concerning these 12 hours refers to the lifespan of man. Some folks come to Christ at a very young age. There are some people who accept Christ uh, that maybe they are raised in a godly home, in a Christian school. They go to church regularly. They hear the gospel presented. And at a very young age, some, some children have accepted Christ as young as four, five, six years old. Myself, I was nine years old when I accepted Christ. And many of you have testified that you were just children when you accepted Christ. And many people come to Christ as children and they live their entire life for the Lord. There are others who do not accept Christ until they're a young adult. Maybe they're a, a 
teenager or maybe they're in their early adulthood and they come to a realization of their need for Christ and they put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. My dad was 22 years old when he put his trust uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so a little later in life, some do not accept Christ uh, until after they have lived uh, their uh, adult life and their children have grown and left home and they begin to think about life and life begins to take a little more serious meaning to them. Uh, They begin to contemplate and so in their early senior years they accept Christ. Then there are some who on their deathbed realize that they wasted their entire life. But they find out that God in His mercy will save them even off their deathbed in the 11th hour when there's no time left. I believe this comparison fits uh, uh, the story and can definitely be applied to the story. A third application is that the 12 hours could be an illustration of the existence of mankind. And I believe that this possibly is the best comparison in my opinion. We could say that there are some who come to Christ during His earthly ministry. Uh, Then then as time passes, uh, the call of salvation continues uh, to go out. And throughout the passing of time, the call to salvation continues to go out uh, and it continues to go out. uh, And all throughout time, uh, there are groups of people uh, and individuals uh, who are continuing coming to Christ. Uh, I really believe that we are coming to the end of our time here on this earth. Now I don't know if Jesus is going to come today or if he's going to come a hundred years from now. Time to him is completely different than it is to you and I. But I do believe that we're coming down to the end of this earthly time as we know it. And in regard to that, those who are accepting Christ now are way later than those apostles who were the first to put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I believe that this application also works and can be applied. Like I said, I believe this explanation fits best with the answer that Jesus gave Peter in verse 28 and 29 when he said, Verily I say unto you that ye which have followed me shall sit upon the throne of his glory. But then in verse number 29 he says, And everyone that hath forsaken... Drop down to the end of verse, shall receive a hundredfold. I believe this applies best, this explanation, that it refers to the passing of time. I believe that fits best the answer that he gave Peter. Peter, you will get a blessing, but Peter, from now till I come back, everyone that puts their trust in me will receive 100-fold and they will receive everlasting life. Having now understood the context and the application of the parable, I want us to consider the conclusions of the parable. I want us to consider the conclusions of this parable. In the parable, we have five groups of people. Those hired at the first hour, the third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour, and the eleventh hour. Yet when payment is made, all receive the same wage. All receive exactly the same wage. Now, in the story, this causes some concern because, as we said, those hired in the first hour felt that if those that hired in the eleventh hour got a four days wage, they should have received a bonus. They complained that the payment was unfair, but Jesus pointed out that it was not unfairness, and get this, boy, I'm telling you, this is good. It was not unfairness that motivated the payment, but it was grace. 
It was not unfairness toward those that had worked 12 hours, but it was grace toward those that had only worked one hour. It was not that he owed, and so he was paying according to what he owed. No, he was giving out of his goodness. There are two things we can conclude from this parable. First of all, we can conclude that God is no respecter of persons. Now, you and I, we are respecters of persons. You and I, we rate people on different levels. Whether we want to or not, it is human nature, and we are respecters of person, but God is not a respecter of person. And when it comes to the gift of eternal life and the blessings of God that put their trust on Him, it doesn't matter who you are or when you enter the family of God. He, in His grace, will bestow upon anyone who believes in Him the full reward. God is no respecter of person and it doesn't matter if you accept Christ at four or five years old or if you accept Christ at 80 years old, you will receive a blessing 100 fold and eternal life. He will pour it out upon you. All who accept Him will receive the blessing of God. But then the second thing we conclude from this parable as I've already mentioned a little bit is our reward is of grace, not of debt. You see, in the story, they worked for an agreed wage, and at the end, they're like, well, shouldn't have we got more? But you see, the truth that Christ is teaching here is not that we earn anything from God. The Bible has some to say about this. Let me, let me read a verse of Scripture to you. In Luke 17 and verse number 10, Jesus said, So likewise ye, when ye have done all those things which are commanded, you say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. What are we talking about here? Well, in Romans 12, verse number 1, I believe Paul sheds a little bit of light on what the Lord is talking about when he says it was our duty to do because in Romans 12, verse number 1, Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. No one, regardless of when we accept Christ, or how long we serve Christ, deserves anything from God. The gift of eternal life that I receive, the blessings that I receive in this life, the relationship that I am able to have with my Creator is not given to me because of how much I give to the Lord Jesus Christ. I am incapable, 100% incapable of earning anything from the Lord Jesus Christ. When I have done everything that is in my human power to be able to do for the cause of Christ, I am to say that I am an unprofitable servant. I have only done that which was my duty to do. When I have given my life to Christ, I realize that it is only reasonable that I would do that. I have not earned anything. Therefore, the gift that is given is not of debt, 
but the gift that is given is of grace. Therefore, when the laborers stood in a line, and the first who had started at the early morning was given the promised gift, it was because of the grace of God. He could have left him standing in the marketplace. He could have left him standing there wishing for employment. He could have let him go home at night and sat down at an empty table and tell his wife and his family, no one hired me today. I have no bread. I have no provisions. I have nothing to offer you. I stood in the marketplace all day, but it was of no avail. He could have left him in the marketplace, but instead he said, come work for me, and if you work for me, I'll give you more than the Roman army pays. If you come work for me, I'll bless you like you've never been blessed before. If you come work for me, I'll take care of you. And he came and he labored and he was given the gift. But then there were those in the 11th hour at the end of their life, the end of their usefulness or at the end of the time that the earth remains. And the spirit and the bride still stand and say, come and let him that is a thirst come, and let him that wants to hear of the word of life come. I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open the door, I will come in unto him and sup with him and he with me. And at the eleventh hour, they accept the Lord Jesus Christ, and they come and they give their life to Christ. Their life is nearly over. They have nothing left to offer. They're not able to give years of service to ministry. They're not able to affect a lot of people with a gospel witness. They're not able to do great and mighty things for the Lord. But when it comes to payment time, God in His grace says what I'm offering you has nothing to do with what you've done for me, but it has everything to do with what I can do for you. And He bestows upon them the same gracious gift that He offers to all who will put their trust in Him. You see, if you're going through this Christian life and you are serving the Lord thinking that through your service you are earning extra favor with God, you've got it all mixed up. We're not earning extra favor with God. We receive His favor not based on our merit, but based on His grace. We receive His blessings not based on what we can do, but based on the fact that He loves us. And so we do give our lives to Christ. We do burn ourselves out for Him, not because we're trying to earn anything, but because we're overwhelmed that a God such as Him would offer in His grace a gift so precious to us. We look at this parable and we see, we see that it's not of debt, but of grace. The songwriter said, All of grace is my story, all the way from earth to glory, since by grace. He lifted me from sin and woe. Brother Danny, you know that song? You need to learn that song, brother. I'm telling you what, it's all of grace. And whenever we realize that it's nothing that I have done, nothing that I have earned, nothing that I have accomplished, but it's all of grace. I'm telling you what, you will fall so in love with your Savior that you will willingly work through the heat of the day for the cause of Him who so graciously bestows upon you His grace. But then last of all, I want us to look at the call of the parable. 
the call of the parable. In this parable, we see that all are called to salvation, regardless of age, status, nationality, or ability. All are called to salvation. In the parable, the householder returned to the marketplace over and over and over again. And every time he returned, if he found people standing in the marketplace, he offered them the same opportunity. I'm telling you what, all have been called to salvation. And down through the passage of the time, the call of salvation continues to go out over and over and over and over and over to each and every person. The call continues to go out. There's another parable that we'll be looking at in a few weeks. And in that parable, it's the marriage, uh, the marriage supper. And they go out and they invite people to come to the, come to the supper. And many that were bidden did not come. And the Lord of the Supper said to his servants, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. Bring in the halt, the lame, the blind, those that have nothing to offer. Go out and compel them to come in that my table may be filled. Why does he want his table filled? Because he longs to pour out his grace. It's not based on what we can offer him, but it's all based on what he can offer us. Also, we see... Not only are all called to salvation, but we see that all who respond will receive an equal reward. We've talked quite a bit lately about the thief on the cross, but he makes a great example once again. He had nothing left to offer. But the thief on the cross is enjoying the exact same blessing that I have been promised. The thief on the cross is in the glories of heaven. He's going to walk on the streets of gold. He's got a mansion just over the hilltop just like I do. Why? Because it's all of grace and all who respond will receive the forgiveness and the goodness of God regardless of who or where you are because it's all of grace. But then a third truth is revealed when we recall the rich young ruler. Remember, this is where we started, talking about that rich young ruler. And a third truth is revealed when we think about that rich young ruler. That is that those who reject Jesus for the things of this world will perish in their sin. The rich young ruler, the thing that he rejected, was his, or the thing he desired, the reason he rejected Christ was his possessions. He went away saddened because he had great possessions. And he rejected Jesus because he wanted his possessions more. The Bible says that many are called, but few are chosen. That verse means that the call has gone out. The call is offered to all. The call is given to all. And all who respond will receive the blessing of the Lord. But if you determine in yourself that you would rather have whatever it is that the world has offered you, whether it be possessions, whether it be a sin, whether it be a lifestyle, whatever it may be, if you determine that that is more important to you than the Lord, Jesus Christ, you will die in your sin. It's what the Bible teaches. 
In this message, we've considered one question, Peter's question, what will happen to me? And Jesus gave two answers. And in the answer, Jesus said, Peter, you'll be blessed, but so will everyone else who puts their trust in me. But then Jesus concluded the parable in verse 16 with that reminder. Verse 16, he said, So the last shall be first. Those that reject everything and give their life to following me, they'll be remembered in the kingdom of heaven. And the first, last. Those who seek to be first in this life will be last in the kingdom of heaven. Why does it work that way? He says in the last phrase of verse number 16, For many are called, but few are chosen. Many, many, many people will come so close to salvation, but then they'll turn and walk away because there is something in this life that they're not willing to give up for the Lord Jesus Christ. I think of Judas Iscariot. Heard a message once preached. You may have heard a similar one on the man that kissed the door to heaven and went to hell. There are many, many people who have come very, very close to putting their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But then they've turned as the rich young ruler did and walked away because there was something in this life they felt was more important. The call of the parable goes out. And the call is this. Will you respond to the call to salvation? It doesn't matter who you are or where you are or what stage of life you're in. God will bless you a hundredfold. He will give to you everlasting life if you'll respond to the call. But you must respond to the call. I'm going to ask each of you to stand there where you are. Now as you stand, I want to ask you this question. Will you quit standing idle in the marketplace? And will you accept the call of the Savior to go work in his vineyard? Will you come serve the one who will reward you far above anything you can imagine with his grace? Verse number 29, he said, And everyone, and everyone that hath forsaken for me will receive a hundredfold and everlasting life. This morning, will you accept this offer? As Miss Debbie plays, if the Lord spoke to your heart, I ask you to come.